0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, reaction to Don Cherry's comments and subsequent firing continue to roll in. We get a few perspectives on what happened and uh, what the heart of the issue really is here. Also, uh, what is going on in Bolivia and South America? Former President Evo Morales accepts political asylum in Mexico. We'll delve into that issue. And public hearings for the Trump impeachment inquiry start airing on television tomorrow. We'll get into that and tell you what's going to happen and maybe what the ramifications are going to be. It's all coming up. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now.
1: Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML.
0: Uh, the story that everyone is talking about today is is Don Cherry uh, because, of course, he was let go yesterday by Sportsnet after his comments on uh, Coach's Corner this past weekend. Uh, he's refusing to apologize for the comments. As a matter of fact, doubling down and saying I am what I am it's, and all that sort of stuff. But he's... Uh, Not going to get back there. At least that doesn't look like he will anyway from Sportsnet after he got canned. Uh, It has caused a firestorm of controversy, though, on both sides of this issue. He does have his supporters. Uh, Others are standing up and simply saying it's about time that something like this had to happen. We're going to look at this from a couple of different angles on the program in the uh, the next little while. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to weigh in on it as well. We'll open the lines up and uh, get your phone calls and emails and tweets on this a little bit later on this hour. Right now, though, I want to bring Bernie Farber into the conversation. Bernie, of course, is the chair of the Canadian Anti Hate Network, and always a welcome guest here on the Bill Kelly Show. Good morning, Bernie. How are you today? Good
2: morning, Bill. I'm fine. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. good. I'm still trying to. I'm still trying to get my head around the, the response to what's happened over the last two or three days here with the Don Cherry thing. And, and I, I, I think the thing that I find most troubling about this, Bernie, is the, the some of the people that are defending him, and there are a lot of people who are defending him on this. Are, are really, the common thread here seems to be, well, that's just Don Cherry being Don Cherry. At <laughs> and, well, and, like, and, and what like point saying, did we set the bar that low, where if you're a celebrity, <laughs> you can get away with it?
2: Well, I guess it's like saying, if you're a bigot, you're a bigot. I mean, th- there's no getting away from the fact that what Don Cherry did was just... Unacceptable, and it doesn't mean that he doesn't have his supporters because we have people in Canada who who support some of the views that that Cherry enunciated uh, the the other night, and and that's too bad. But I honestly believe that they are very much a minority in Canada because Bill, if they weren't, Don Cherry, I believe, would still have his job today. Mm-hmm. I think Sportsnet made a very calculated decision, a business decision, but a moral decision at the same time. Uh, I mean, Hockey Night in Canada is kind of an, uh, an iconic sports thing uh, in, in, in this country. And to have Don Cherry be the kind of main representative, if you will, of Hockey Night in Canada is no longer, you know, acceptable. Especially, that, listen, we we let too much go from John T- Ch- uh, Don Cherry already. I mean, He, uh, you know, he criticized the English and the French and LGBTQ, and I mean, the the list goes on and on. What he did uh, the other day, however, you know, topped it. I think people just uh, were not prepared to take it anymore. And, yes, you're going to hear uh, the supporters. They are the loud and noisy ones. They're They're the squeaky wheels. But in the long run, they're not going to get the grease.
0: Well and it's you make a very valid point here too Bernie. Uh, the, the whole thing about his when he started doing this thing uh he was a hockey guy uh, talking about hockey players and about the National Hockey League and I figured okay fine he's controversial and he's going to say some stuff that's going to get people talking but at some point and I can't even put my finger on when it was uh he took it upon himself to simply say well look at I'm so popular right now I can talk about anything on this program and 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 once you get out of your own realm where, where there is no expertise uh, you're right. I mean, he's crossed the line a number of times, and and they just turned the other way because hey, you know, we're getting ratings, so I guess that's okay.
2: And, and you remember there was this incident. I can't remember exactly which one. There were so many of them. Uh, where the C- when, when when Hockey Night in Canada was actually being produced by CBC, that they decided to put on a seven second delay. Yeah. And I thought that delay was still in in place. Clearly, it wasn't in place on you know on on Saturday night when when, when this whole thing happened. Um, but you know, the fact of the matter is that Don Cherry will always be Don Cherry. I mean, if if he if he wanted to do the right thing, he would have apologized the very next day. Look, Ron McLean sat silently while Cherry went on his harangue. Uh, however, the difference is that uh, that Ron McLean. Had something to say the next day, and it was profound and it was honest and it was from the heart. what did Don cherry say you know after this whole thing blew up? as you said, he doubled down on the whole thing he said, I am who I am, well, you are who you are, but you are yesterday 's man and i you know I, I I think sportsnet did us all a favor. I think it was time for for Don cherry to you know retire and go his own way, and I think it's time that Hockey Night in Canada become a little bit more modernized and and impact on all Canadians, not just the few that like Don Cherry.
0: There's another reality that I think people have to get their heads around here too, Bernie, is that a lot of the anger that's being expressed now is being shot towards Sportsnet for obviously letting him go. It's a business decision. I mean, it, you you know this, they keep throwing this thing of free speech out here. Well, this first of all, as you and I have talked about in the past, yes. there's, there's a there's a line between free speech and hate speech, and and I think he crossed it. And I think he's done it more than once. But the employer has the ultimate say. Yep. I, I mean, if I start going off on a tangent and say things that that are, are contrary to the policies of the company I work for, I'm gone. And yeah, and I mean, and and he's a, he's in the same situation.
2: Yeah, he's very much in the same situation. I think he got away with a lot because. He was seen to be this, uh, you know, iconic hockey guy. But in in the end, I think not only did Sportsnet make the right decision, but you know, when you start talking about you guys, so who are you guys? Uh, There really is no you guys in Canada. We are all then you guys because we all came from someplace else at some time or another. I'm I'm assuming that Don Cherry's ancestors also came from someplace else, unless he's Aboriginal, which he's not. So you know this whole thing that feeds into this very dark side of humanity, um, I, I think Sportsnet actually not just made the right call, but kind of shed some light on what Canada is all about. Uh, you know, we, we we look some, and by the way we We can't be too smug about this either i mean we we have our don cherry he 's not the only one who does this type of thing. There are others out there, and by the very fact that he's received support in in loud numbers uh tells us that Canada is not the perfect place to be. But when you take a look at what 's happening down south and you take a look at what 's happening here. Uh, I, I think we can we can take some pride in in this country.
0: Well, look, and you're absolutely right. I mean, <laughs> there there are more people like that. Some of them hold public office in this country, and yes, and, and, <laughs> and and that's that's got to be a going concern with us as well. But but again, there's so many things that that you can shoot holes through with what Cherry said. First of all, the the, the xenophobia that he obviously seemed to be the undercurrent here, but he was factually wrong. I mean, you know, his Canadian soldiers, God bless them, we honored them again yesterday, and as we should every day, they were not. The the only ones that fought for freedom there were Sikhs there were Muslims there were Chinese there were go down the list they Ab- many of absolutely. them did absolutely
2: and that's and that's why canada is canada you know i wrote a piece for remembrance day that appeared uh, uh, on i think it was on saturday in the national post about a private michael devries who 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 immigrated with his family in the early 1900s from holland uh, happened to be jewish uh, entered the armed forces during world war II, um, and his exploits were were amazing. If you if you read, really he took out machine gun emplacements, and he was killed in action. And he happened to be a Jewish Canadian. And very few people realized that sixteen thousand Jewish Canadians enlisted for service in World War II. That was forty percent of the male population of uh, of the male Jewish population. And the same can be said for Sikhs and for Muslims and for many many others because they all believed in Canada. Um, you know they were Canadians first and foremost, and this is what Don Cherry. Not, I don't think he forgets. I just don't think he accepts that. Uh, I, mean, I think he lives in a Canada that's, uh, you know, that that's from really another time and another place.
0: Bernie, as always, thanks so much for your input into this. Uh, we're going to see what our listeners have to say about this. Uh, appreciate your uh, your time for us today. Thanks, Bill. You take care, care. Bertie uh, Bernie Farber, of course, is the uh, chair of the Canadian Anti Hate Network. I want to bring Ryan Kennedy into the conversation, too, from the Hockey News, and uh, we'll get some reaction from you in just a couple of minutes as we go to the phone. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to the program today. Thanks for having me. Are you surprised by the backlash uh, that's uh, been coming, I guess, from both sides, really, over the last 24 hours or so?
1: Not really. I mean, Don Cherry has always been a very polarizing personality, and he's so incredibly well-known in this country that something this big I I think it was a moment that even for his detractors they didn't think was going to happen he just seemed so entrenched on that spot in coach's corner that no matter what he said the powers that be that he worked for were going to let him do it so I think there's that shock factor that everybody is dealing
0: with but tomorrow is another day. The sun came up today, um, and and I know I've I've heard some commentators saying, "Well, you know, that's it. I'm canceling my my Sportsnet subscription. I'm not going to watch hockey in Canada anymore." Uh, that's 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 anger. I get that. But at the same token, uh, the, the the show will carry on. I mean, there are still going to be hockey fans here, and and you know, Don Cherry is gone, but there the, there will be somebody else.
1: Certainly, and there's some pretty good candidates out there. I think. You know, one name that has been sort of at the top of the list is, is Brian Burke, who has already been on the uh, Hiking Ed in Canada panel in, in his own segment. And I thought during the playoffs last year, he really hit another level of uh, interest for me. I, I, I found him very informative. He had actual, you know, cogent stories about insider things that were happening in hockey, you know, trades that were almost made that didn't happen. He had great anecdotes About his time as a GM with various teams. I I felt like I really got insider insight when I listened to Brian Burke. And he also has that bombastic side where he likes tough hockey. He, you know, he still believes in fighting. So, you know, he's going to get people talking. He's going to get those water cooler moments. Um, but he also knows that you don't punch down, uh, on people. And I think that's something that Don Cherry never learned.
0: He seemed to have lost it, I think, with an awful lot of people when he started to get out of the realm of hockey and figure hey, i can I can talk about anything. I'll talk about politics. I'll talk about political correctness and and on and on it goes. I mean, you know, it's you got to stick with what you know. and and Burke does that. I mean there's a, and you're right, Martin. There's a bunch of them. I mean, Mike Milbury's another guy, but he's pretty much I guess hooked on with NBC now. but there, it's it's not as if there's a lack of personalities that could fill that role.
1: Very true. And I mean, simply if you look at the the broadcast itself, I mean, Don Cherry was on for decades. I I don't think it's a bad idea to look at new voices and and turn that segment around and, and make it something new simply because you want to hear new things. I mean, for me personally, how many times could I hear Don Cherry talk about defensemen not getting their stick in lanes when a point shot was coming? Because you might tip in in, into your own net. You know, how many times did he talk about shoulder pads being too hard? Like, he only seemed to have a couple of different things that he would rail on against, and eventually it gets stale. So I think it'd be great to give somebody another chance to do something different with that
0: time slot. Do you think? Do you think Sportsnet was looking for an opportunity to do this?
1: I think so. And I, I mean, even cynically, just for the amount of money that Don Jerry made. You know, we already saw Sportsnet cut some pretty high-salaried people that that hadn't done anything wrong. Um, So the opportunity to not only turn over a new leaf, but also help that stock price, uh, I'm sure, was a factor.
0: Well, it's it's going to be interesting to see just how they respond in the passage of time. And uh, I, I guess just from a pragmatic standpoint, I think a lot of people are going to be tuning in Saturday to see just what's going to be there at the end of the first period.
1: Very true. And... I mean, they basically have, you know, the the rest of the week to to figure it out, and and I'm not sure if whatever we see on Saturday will be the new norm. I, maybe they experiment with a couple of things in the in the coming months, but there are definitely voices out there that uh, that deserve a chance, and it would be interesting to see what form that segment takes from
0: now on. Well, it's going to be fascinating, and as as I was reading a lot of the pushback on this, Brian, over the last couple of hours. I, I was reminded of that classical line from the Eagles song "New Kid in Town." They'll never forget you until a new guy comes along, uh, and and that's that's the nature of this business, really. I mean, you know, I, you're right—thirty odd years there, but somebody else will do that, and and you know, they will eventually be accepted, and Don Cherry will fade into the sunset.
1: Yeah, and I think what's also interesting to consider now is: Does Don Cherry do anything else? I mean, you know, he's in his. I think mid to late eighties at this point. I know when I spoke to him years ago, he said he probably wouldn't do coach's corner if Ron McLean wasn't there anymore. Um, Obviously Ron McLean is still on the program. It's kind of reversed now. You know, would he do something else for a newspaper, for a radio show, for a website, if it meant having somebody else setting him up? I'm, I'm not sure. Or does he just hang out in Mississauga and, you know, continue to go to minor hockey games and enjoy the rest of his life
0: well we'll find out in the passage of time i guess ryan as always thanks so much for this great talking with you again no problem thanks for having me. take care ryan kennedy of course from uh, the hockey news
1: you're listening to the bill kelly show podcast on 900 chml
0: south america Bolivia's former uh, president uh, Evo Morales has now accepted political asylum in Mexico, but that's only one of a number of uh, South American countries right now that seem to be experiencing greater uh, political turmoil. And uh, what's what's happening? I mean, it's, uh, it's something that we've talked about and we've seen about years ago. Haven't heard a whole lot of about it, but. Uh, there's let me put it this way, an awful lot of insurrection going on in different parts of uh, South America. Joining us to talk about this is Susan Eckstein, who is a professor at the uh, Pardee School of Global Studies at Boston University. Uh, Susan, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could join us today.
3: Pleasure to be with you.
0: The, the, the cliche we always think of of, of these military dictatorships, uh, the guys with the many medals and things of this nature, and the, the South American uh, puppet regimes and things of this nature. It, it, we all thought that was a, a thing of the past. Why so much turmoil down there these days?
3: Well, you could argue in part it's because the military aren't playing a direct role in power as they used to. So, in, in the absence of their uh, repression, there's more, um, you know, the will of the people speaking up. and When they're dissatisfied, they take the risks of going to the streets. So um, I would say that's part of the issue. What is tragic about the Bolivian case is that Evo Morales uh, came to power with genuinely, you know, large-scale support of the, the majority of Bolivians, who are poor and who are of indigenous uh, ancestry, and he did a lot for them, helped a bit by good uh, commodity prices, but he used it for the people, uh, built infrastructure, a reduced poverty rates. So he did things that really won him a lot of support by ordinary people. That's not to say by the elites, but um, he uh, he really. Uh, uh, I, I would say overstepped the margins of democracy for the people when he insisted on uh, his reelection and manipulating things so that he could be reelected. And then ultimately, it appears that they were uh, rigging the results of the last election. And in in this respect, the people really have a commitment to democracy and don't want those rights uh, taken away from them. And that's what brought so many of them into the streets, and then ultimately the police and some of the military sided with the opposition to Evo's continuation in power.
0: Susan, when you look at some of the, at Bolivia and some of the other countries uh, that, that seem to be experiencing some of this stuff, Ecuador and, and so many others, is, is it fair to to make the assessment that, that political corruption seems to be a common theme in, in a lot of these situations?
3: Um, corruption... And inequality okay. have been important issues. Then the specifics have have you know varied. So Chile, which has been having exceptional um, unrest uh, in a country that used to be highly politicized, but then after a very repressive military government, uh, when the when uh, Chile uh, returned to democracy, it was really quite quiet in the country. And what's Sparked, I think, what has been building up in Chile is that uh, the the government has moved higher education more and more privatizing it, making it less and less expe- accessible to you know middle low-income people, and I think that's caused a lot of resentment. But the um, What really turned Chileans into the streets now was an increase, a fairly modest one by American standards, but I think it was the principle, of increasing the subway fare. And this is a country that's not poor and where the government probably did not even need to, from a financial point of view, increase um, the price of the subway and I don't think it was under pressure from the International Monetary Fund that has been a lot behind a lot of the protests. Um, but so the causes, I would say the immediate causes varied a bit by country. I, there's probably a little bit of contagion when uh, one country starts having a lot of unrest. It probably inspires people who were aggrieved in the other countries to protest as well. So, uh, but the Bolivian case is, is for the moment serious in that there's a power vacuum that, um, you know, it's unclear how it's going to be uh, filled. And so far, the military actually, haven't actually taken over. So, in that sense, it's very different than the. A situation in the past when the military have come in.
0: I want to ask you about that mindset in a second, because I want to get into the uh, the Ecuadorian situation, though, if I could for just a couple of seconds here, Susan, because you were talking you about... don't mind.
3: I'd actually, I'm not as well-versed in that one. i rather talk about the cases I know more about.
0: Sure. Okay. okay. Well, well, let me go back to my original question, then, uh, because the, the reason I brought Ecuador up is because of the, part of the, the concern there, of course, is uh, uh, they took away a fuel subsidy, and people took to the streets. Right. Uh, it's different in, in North America than it is in South America. I mean, we we have a, a situation here in Canada where the, the federal government here just imposed a carbon tax on prices of gasoline, and there was outrage that well, the price is going to go up, but we uh, we're out, we're quietly outraged here. We don't take to the streets like they right. do in South America. Why why the difference?
3: Um, well, there is probably more of a of a tradition of people taking to the streets in part because they their people's capacity to bring about change through formal politics has been so limited. Even, you know, when you've had formal democracy in the last couple decades, whose interests are really being protected and advanced in those democracies? Now, Bolivia was genuinely different with the election of Morales, that he really, really used it. He brought uh, indigenous people into the government. He used it to bring about uh, reforms for the people. But Generally, you've had elections, but because most of the people—well, I shouldn't say that the the parties uh, that have had political power have not really represented ordinary people—and so if you can't really get your interests um, expressed and acted upon through formal politics, there's much more of an inclination to do it outside, you know, through extra institutional means and i think that you know in canada i think that the just the um, legitimacy of the electoral process mm-hmm. is much stronger so that people don't see going to the streets uh, to do that
0: how would to explain that maybe describe the economic system and and the and the, the economic uh, protocol that's in place there where they i was always under the impression some of the stuff i've read anyway susan uh, that South America, by and large, is doing reasonably well. I mean, you know, the world's largest producers of uh, things like beef and soy and oil in Venezuela and coffee in Colombia, uh, on and on it goes. Um, are, I know they're not, you know, in, uh, jumping up and down with wealth, but they, the fact is that they seem to be doing pr- pretty well economically. Is that not filtering down to, to the average family in those countries?
3: Uh, well, often not, or uh, gross inequality, Okay. Uh, that I think has, has sparked a lot of resentments. Also, also, the economies aren't doing that well right now. Um, partly uh, because China' uh, growth rate has slowed down, and a lot of the boom was in fact through sales of commodities to China. The, the days when the U.S. has been the main source of trade for Latin America have have uh, diminished significantly. So the dynamics have, have int- very interestingly changed, and so now more, uh, Latin American countries, South American countries, I should say in particular, are very tied to Asian markets, and those have not been doing that well. So I would say the economy is doing somewhat less well, uh, and that, that is a contributing factor.
0: The uh, uh, your description of that I think really just kind of underscores the uh, the importance that the, the Chinese actually have on world markets these days. That uh, one decision, a tariff here, a tariff there, a, a, yeah. a, a trade deal can can have a, a a huge huge impact on other people's economies.
3: Right, and on smaller economies in particular.
0: Yeah. Well, as we've seen, I mean, obviously, I mean, we know the United States is having some concerns right now and discussions with China about tariff policies, et cetera. But the United States, obviously, the, you know, with their economy, uh, they can take a couple of punches. Obviously, a country exactly. like Bolivia, just not so much, right?
3: Right, exactly.
0: So they're exactly. in a ra- rather precarious position. Does, does, right. it, does it have them looking for other markets? I mean, as you say, if, if the U.S. relationship with many of these countries, the trade relationship anyway, has diminished, are there any attempts to try to reestablish that?
3: Um, I mean, I, I don't think the U.S. has been completely written off of the books. It's just that the um, Chinese economy expanded so much, mm-hmm. and they are you know, you know, thirsting for commodities. So I think you know, China, in some sense, came to Latin America uh, rather than Latin America very strategically going after the Asian markets. And I I suspect they also liked it politically as well as economically, because politically it meant it made them less dependent on the United States and the U.S. less able to bully them around, as they have done, you know, for decades. So it it is an interesting kind of shift in in the landscape of, of Latin America. But the one thing I think is is really quite interesting is this commitment to to democracy and how that in itself is now you know sparking protests um, where where there was an era when Latin American countries didn't have democracies, so and, and, you know it, it's a weakness of the democracies. But it's also a, you know, a tribute and the strength of the democracies that, in fact, people feel that if they are opposed to conditions, they feel that one way or another they can do something about it. Uh, in Bolivia, I'm not very optimistic, hopefully incorrectly, on the outcome, because I, I think to Evo's discredit, he really never um, uh, groomed somebody to succeed him. And, you know, he, he could have been a Mandela, and he did himself in, I think, by, you know, not graciously exiting from power the way Mandela did, to you know, to turn over the baton to a successor. And now I think there's just a very serious um, power vacuum, and I fear that the, the old elite will step into it because they are, they have money, they have organization and that that means that probably a lot of the redistributive measures that uh, uh, Morales took may be undone.
0: Is is there a people's hero that they can rally behind? Uh, obviously, not if they're really. just if they're upset with Morales and he's gone now, he's off right. the scene.
3: No, it's that's the sad thing that there is not a person there to to uh, likely successor. I mean, there will be a successor. Sure, but there is nobody that's the obvious person. Uh, for people to point to, who has, you know, charisma, credibility, legitimacy, uh, there's not such a person right now.
0: It, but that, that, I think, probably just adds to the frustration that the people are feeling there. I mean, you know, as as you go through these changes of government, some of them force changes, obviously, it, it's like that old song, the line from the song, you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. If if it's not yeah. going to have any positive impact on, on the general population, uh, they're no further ahead.
3: Well, I think they may be worse off, frankly, because um, Ava was so unique by being a person of indigenous origins. and But he rose, through, ironically, through the coca growers' union, but, you know, it was through a union he had, so he built up a big base, um, um, and there's nobody like that right now. So I, I don't think the successor necessarily will be an improvement over Morales, from the point of view of the majority of Bolivians, in that, terms of the elite, probably.
0: But that's going to add to the frustration as well, though. I mean, because Morales was the people's hero. He was the of guy course. that, that yes. came up through the ranks. And, you know, he was our guy. And, and as you say, he started off just wonderfully. And now, you know, he's gone. And they, he obviously was a disappointment to them in the long term. And I think they're going to be pretty shy about trying to support somebody else at this stage right now because it might be the same result. Or, as you say, even worse.
3: No, I, I think it will be a turn to the right which is also happening in a number of Latin American countries. Yeah,
0: Brazil, obviously, one Uh, of them. Yes,
3: particularly in Brazil. With uh, Bolsonaro. Right.
0: Uh, Susan, this has been very enlightening. I want to thank you once again for taking the time to join us today. It's greatly appreciated.
3: Well, a pleasure to talk.
0: Take care. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Susan Eckstein, of course, uh, from uh, Boston University, uh, talking about the South American situation, which, by the way, is going to have global impacts, especially when it comes to economics and trade.
1: You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show Podcast on 900 CHML.
0: After uh, weeks of closed-door d- depositions, the impeachment inquiry south of the border is uh, heading into open session, televised open sessions, quite uh, honestly. Uh, and there's, a, I think, a great deal of anticipation about what's going to be happening starting tomorrow. Joining us to talk about this is Ashley Coning, who is a Ph.D. assistant research professor also director of the uh, Eagleton Center for Public Interest Polling at Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey. Uh, Ashley, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could join us today. Hi, Bill. Thank you for having me. Let me ask you right off the top, because uh, I'm obviously watching the coverage from a number of different uh, sources, television networks, newspapers, et cetera, over the last couple of weeks as the, the closed-door hearings have been going on. Now that they're going public, is, are we setting the bar too high f- with our expectations about what we may see or what we may find out?
4: You know, it, it's a hard call and I feel like we go through this every time, uh, one of these events comes up. This is, this is probably the, the clearest, uh, you know, the clearest situation that we've had, um, in terms of going towards an impeachment. But we, we thought this was going to come up, uh, back when we were talking about Russia and the elections. And so who knows at this point, uh, whether or not it's going to be overblown. We have some pretty clear transcripts and tidbits from testimony. Uh, That had happened behind closed doors, and I think the Democrats are now hoping that this is the public's chance to actually hear it verbatim from the mouths of these top officials.
0: I guess the obvious question, then, from a Republican and a Democratic standpoint, is this going to change anybody's mind?
4: You know, it it all boils down to partisanship all Mm -hmm. the time. It really may not. Republicans already have their case in terms of why none of this is valid, the the secrecy surrounding it initially – um you know the the um the the traitor label that they're now giving to Sondland, i mean they're they're going to obviously spin it one way democrats are obviously going to spin it another way that's favorable toward them and you know all of this while we're heading into an election for 2020
0: uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I don't anticipate Lindsey Graham's going to come out of there and say, Mike, I didn't know that. I, changed, I That's it. He's gone. He, uh, I I don't think it's going to change anybody's minds politically, but I guess the, the express purpose here actually would be to try to change the public's minds about what they probably don't know as much about as they might think they do.
4: Right, and the public is really divided right now. So polling so far has shown that there's a pretty even split in terms of who supports it and and who opposes impeachment now, right, about, you know, almost 50 percent support. But again, this depends on things like question wording and whether or not they're talking about the impeachment inquiry or the impeachment process and and President Trump actually being removed. So the public itself is, is still really on shaky ground here. Um, so, you know, time will tell if the actual public hearings will change any
0: of that. Uh, for those of us that were around, and I was just getting into this business uh, back when the Watergate hearings were going on, and I was glued to the TV day in and day out with that. When, uh, Sam Irvin was the, the chair of that committee at that time. Uh, but it was revealing, actually. There were, there were there were moments when you say, my God, I didn't know that. Are they, there were tapes of the phone calls, and, and on and on it went, and, and that, and those revelations, I guess, really seemed to turn public opinion around. Um, I don't know that we're going to see any of those revealing moments with what we've, because we already know the transcripts t- to a large degree of the people that are going to be before the committee, right? Don't we?
4: Right, and we're in a different era now, right? This is yeah. about hyperpartisanship and and you know a, a huge uh, gulf of a gap in in polarization, and so that was a different era where we even saw Republicans during um, the the Watergate scandal. We saw Republicans going out against Nixon, and, and this is just a different case and a different time. So. I think, you know, the key will be to see, and, and we haven't really seen that yet, uh, which Republicans are, are going to go up against the president, especially when they're worried about the 2020 uh, races that they may encounter, um, it, you know, the the possibility of that seems slim.
0: Can we read anything into the fact that there are a number of uh, Republicans, uh, mostly in, in, the, in, the, in the House, but some in the Senate as well, that are not seeking re-election? Uh, does that mean they're ready to sever ties with the, the Republican Party or more or less with Trump?
4: We, we've seen that with a lot of Republicans who have left office um, in the past few years, and that's when they start to speak out, you know, and, and while that is, you know, th- while that's one thing, it, it would be quite another if we actually saw those who are still in office speaking out against the president, but of course, they're in a much more precarious situation, you know, and, and those are few and far between where we, the only one we re- really see doing that to any extent is, is Mitt Romney in the Senate now.
0: And I know there have been some examples, uh, more so recently, I guess, uh, with some of the gubernatorial elections where uh, Republicans didn't do quite as well as as some people had expected they would. Uh, But I think it would probably be a mistake, wouldn't it, actually, to assume that uh, that the president's power uh, when it comes to influencing those sorts of votes is gone?
4: Yeah, I I think we really need to look at the individual races and the context of the races. Um, You know, uh, one of the governorships, as we saw, a wildly unpopular governor, And so, you know, that's not necessarily just a referendum on Trump, but also a referendum on the governor himself. Uh, So I I think we really need to be careful at calling these elections as uh, bellwethers or, or, you know, a a crystal ball into what 2020 may bring.
0: Well, and we saw that, I guess, even last week when Jeff Sessions, uh, the former attorney general, of course, decided he was going to try to get his senatorial seat back again. Uh, and, and obviously, he and, and, and the president have butted heads on a number of different issues, which is one of the reasons why he, he doesn't have the job anymore. But he was very kind and very uh, forthcoming about his praise for the president in his first campaign ad. So clearly, he understands that, uh, that that Trump still has an awful lot of influence when it comes to those elections.
4: Yeah, I mean, in the, in a lot of these seats, too, I mean, President Trump is more popular than uh you know, the incumbent uh, senator or member of Congress. So they, they of course, want to keep those ties closed, whether they're running or running again. Um, you know, it's, it's a good campaign strategy for them heading into a, a big year.
0: When the Mueller report came out, um, and, and Bill Barr told us what was in it, obviously, it, it, not, well, he told us what he thought was in it anyway, uh, they immediately went after Mueller himself, and there was a, a, a good deal of character assassination. Uh, notwithstanding the fact that Mueller had a stellar career and a stellar record as a as a as a patriot, as a soldier, and of course in the FBI. Uh, when they start these hearings tomorrow, and 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 somebody like William Taylor gets on the stand, do they go after somebody again who has a very impeccable he- uh, CV?
4: You know a lot of it again depends on things like uh, stature and body language and how these officials portray themselves. Um again, this is all going to now be live on TV and and that's a very different medium. and And we've seen that throughout history and its effects on politics so often. And once again, this is sometimes where uh, you know no pun intended, but the the appearance and the aesthetics of the the television can trump. Um, you know, what the actual information is that's being given. And, and unfortunately, that happened to some extent with Mueller.
0: Well, yeah, he was not a, a warm, fuzzy guy. Uh, and, and obviously that right. that didn't translate. Uh, that The camera has to like you and the public will like you if the camera likes you.
4: Right, exactly. You know, and, and you know, then we see these characterizations come out about these officials. So, you know, the other thing is uh, voters and, and the public in general are just so fatigued with with politics nowadays here in the states, that the the other difficulty is getting them to pay attention and so however these uh, hearings get filtered in the news and in media outlets will make a big impact on how they're interpreted by the public.
0: Well that's an interesting point Uh, and again you you made the point about you know this is not Watergate anymore. Times have changed, the media uh, landscape has certainly changed. Uh, When the Mm -hmm. Watergate stuff was going on obviously the three major networks essentially were carrying that stuff uh, and that's where we got our information from, and I guess we were allowed to, to take from it what we would. But don't you find that the, with the polarization that's going on politically now that people seem to go to their own sources for their news? Uh, you know, if you're a Trump fan, you, you're not going to watch uh, CNN. You're probably not going to watch MSNBC, but you certainly will watch Fox. Uh, and the other side of that spectrum, of course, if uh, you know if you don't like Trump, uh, you're, you're watching Rachel Maddow. You're not watching Sean Hannity. So that that the news yeah, is going to be filtered for us, isn't it?
4: Yeah, of course. I mean, and this is why we see such polarization in, in media as well. And it's not just that. It's not even a point that they're using different headlines at times. They're actually covering completely different stories. Um, so that completely frames, you know, what the public is viewing and, and the, the, you know, unity in what kind of news they're receiving. So once again, if these hearings get filtered into how the media interpret it, uh, again, it all depends on what media are you listening to.
0: And, and obviously, you're going to take from that what you will. Um, is it inevitable that the House is going to move to impeach?
4: You know, right now, it really does seem like they will, uh, given the numbers that the Democrats have in the House. Um, but you know, I think at this moment, it's it's pretty obvious that we what we'll see in the House versus what we'll see in the Senate. Um, you know, and I think one of the most interesting factors is what are the implications uh, for the senators who are currently running for 2020. Um, if we move to uh, the Senate by the new year. Um, so I, I think, you know, the, the House seems like they want to get through this pretty expeditiously. And uh, that could have really big consequences as we move into the new year for those senators like Warren and Sanders and Harris, uh, you know, who, who this could have an effect on their campaign.
0: Well, you can't be in two places at once. That, that's going to be the obvious Exactly, one.
4: exactly. And, and, and you have to be in the Senate. <laughs> they,
0: they, they, they're, they're, for people that maybe don't understand the process, the, the senators are, in fact, the jury uh, if it, it, it right. gets to that stage. And uh, their, their attendance is going to be mandatory in situations like that. And uh, you're not knocking on doors yeah. and you're not raising money if you're sitting in the Senate all day.
4: Exactly, and leading up to Iowa, that's that's not a good scene if you yourself can't be there on the ground in Iowa. So it's it's uh, it's a complicated and it's a messy situation. But I think you know, as of right now, unless there's something absolutely earth shattering, but again, it all goes down back to to polarization and partisanship. I, I think we know which way that both the House and the Senate will turn. I, I don't think you know there's going to be a big surprise there with either chamber.
0: Ashley, can the can the Democrats push this too far?
4: You know, I, I
0: mean, with public opinion, I mean.
4: Right, right. Well, you know, it's it's a precarious thing as we lead into a presidential election year, and especially depending upon who the, the eventual nominee is, there's been a lot of talk that um, now they feel like they're framing the issue wrong, and perhaps using the Latin of quid pro quo uh, is not really the best way to convey it to the American public. So the Democrats are already trying to change that strategy of how they're they're depicting this and maybe going more for a um, mob boss metaphor, which is, you know, somewhat more tangible for Americans just because of the movies and the history and so on and so forth. And so, you know, I I think that's a problem conveying the message correctly. And and with those, you know, uh, voters that could be on the fence, a lot of the voters in the suburbs who actually voted in moderate Democrats, and those moderate Democrats who took a while to actually um, support impeachment, uh, there, there's always a risk here because the, those moderates that they're going to desperately need in 2020 to turn the tide, um, you don't want to uh, corner or upset those moderates where they think like the House is wasting time instead of getting stuff done. So it's it's a delicate dance.
0: If, if there's a characterization that I think we could fall back on here, uh, and I've heard a number of different commentators uh, use this this analogy, uh, the Republicans seem to be arguing about about style, in other words, how this is being done. Uh, the Democrats seem to be focusing on substance. Uh, do you see that continuing as these hope meetings go into open session?
4: Yeah, most definitely. And I think you know, honestly, we've we've seen that uh, go both ways. Whoever is one that's you know on the defense. Um, you know they're they're always going to take that approach. You know Democrats have taken that approach about style, about transparency, um, when Republicans have done the same thing. So you know I, I think those themes are still going to be prevalent as we lead into these live hearings. Republicans will find uh, you know something to to um, you know discredit the the those who are testifying and uh, you know any of the stories that come out.
0: We we know who's going to be there, uh, and, and as you said, it's the people. Most of them, all of these, all of them, I guess, are being behind closed doors already. Kent and, and, and Taylor and, and the others. Uh, they right. they say the Democrats say they don't need John Bolton and his testimony, uh, but I got to figure that deep down inside they'd like to get him in front of that committee.
4: Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. And same with Mulvaney. I think you know this is this will be another interesting piece of the puzzle. In terms of uh, what happens with with you know Bolton and Mulvaney, and and uh, in terms of um, you know a judge ruling on whether or not they can testify, so uh, you know yeah these would be huge fish for the Democrats to get, but we don't know whether or not at this point if they'll get them.
0: Well, because Bolton's already doing a little bit of teasing here. His lawyer is saying that he he knows stuff that the committee has not yet heard. So it's it, it, that's got to be awfully tempting for them to say, "Look at yeah, we we got to get t- in fact." Now we don't know, of course. I mean, he's a hardcore Republican. He's a right winger. He's supposed to be a hawk. Uh, yet we find out he had a much of a, a, a very contrary point of view of how, as to how this whole situation should have been handled.
4: Right, right, right. Calling in a drug deal, in fact. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's it's uh, it'll be fascinating to see what happens with those two in particular, whether or not they get them on the stand, um, you know, and and uh, what they may say.
0: The uh, Rudy Giuliani's two buddies that were arrested in New York a couple of days ago. Um, one of them is seemingly is cooperating with them now. Is that going to have an impact on this hearing? Uh,
4: you know, it, it really depends on what information comes out and uh, and and where that goes from there. I mean, it, it again, the stories will get spun in terms of uh, how the different media outlets view them and view what it means, and and they can very easily be turned into uh you know nefarious figures that the administration had no dealing with and and we've, we've seen this in the past with other circumstances when we went through all of this with russia so you know I, I think you know like we talked about at the beginning i think setting expectations at a at a pragmatic level and not you know overly expecting any bombshells is, is the way to walk through this impeachment hearing.
0: ashley you were telling us right at the beginning of our conversation how uh polarizing this has been and, and obviously it's very much been going down partisan lines uh, the the best news I've heard about this whole thing is that actually the, the the lion's share of the questioning is going to be done by lawyers, not by the elected officials. Uh, we saw that, obviously, with the the confirmation hearing uh, with Kavanaugh and, and some of the other hearings that we've seen and televised over the last little while where uh, it's not really a and a It's really a five-minute rant by whoever has the microphone at that particular time. Uh, are you hopeful that we're going to get down to, to brass tacks and actually have factual question and answers here through the lawyers?
4: But I was going to say, I think it definitely is a positive sign, or at least a more optimistic sign, that there will be lawyers, and that this wouldn't just be grandstanding uh, by by different members. You know, I, I think uh, potentially it will get at you know the the essence of of you know the different testimonies of what needs to be done or said um, in in a in a much more scholarly way. So, but again, only time is going to tell. Uh, in terms of what information gets out and, and whether or not the media and then the public view it as, as any type of bombshell. And again, we, we know these testimonies, so this is essentially the, the third time we'll be hearing this information. So I think a lot of this rests on the ability to see the the uh, those who are testifying and the aesthetics and the spectacle of it all.
0: Do the people, by and large, grasp exactly what's going on here? And I, I'm, I'm not trying to be flippant. I'm saying uh, because we're, we're reminded time and time again that uh, we just talked about lawyers being involved in this. Uh, this is not a, a legal issue. This is a political process, isn't it?
4: Uh, yeah. No. I, I I totally understand what you're saying. I think you know there there's a with impeachment in general, there is such a level of difficulty and complexity with understanding what this means, what an impeachment inquiry is. Versus, you know, actually being removed from office and what the different steps are and how the House and the Senate act in this regard. It is a complicated process to understand. It's a, it's a somewhat complicated, uh, situation. Um, you know, again, there, there's kind of the, the, the boiled down, watered down version that we can talk about in terms of, you know, this was a, a quid pro quo, uh, to use the Latin phrase. Um, but I, I think, you know, it's, it's still a game of semantics and it's still, Difficult to capture being from New Jersey um, a couple years ago when governor Christie had the Bridgegate scandal mm-hmm. It was a really clear scandal to understand across the country and and uh, you know affecting his um, His uh, run for 2016 you know he he stopped traffic on a bridge uh, Essentially and those are the kind of scandals that are really easy to pick up, you know um, Scandals involving affairs that kind of stuff. These are the murkier ones where it's really difficult to actually uh, you know kind of parse through, you know, who's right and who's wrong and what does all this mean?
0: Well, especially because one of the talking points that, uh, well, Nikki Haley was just using it again this morning when she was on NBC, is even if what he did was wrong, it's not impeachable. Uh, so, you know, if they take that stand, how do you how do you argue with that? The, it's, the, it's, it's not as if there has to be, you know, oh, this one item here makes you guilty. Uh, you, it, it, they're going to spend this either way, and it's really going to be up to the elected officials to make their own judgments.
4: Exactly. And between, you know, that the, the funding was finally handed over... And that the quid pro quo did not happen eventually, even though there was a setup for it. I mean, you know, th- there are different ways that you can certainly spin the story and kind of chop up the semantics of, of, you know, what what actually happened and what is or is not impeachable. You know, um, Clinton, with his own impeachment, that was really understandable. The, the public could comprehend it. Um, and frankly, even they got sick of the of the back and forth of the impeachment with him and, and his popularity went up. Um, you know, so so it's it's an interesting facet of our democracy, and and with this scandal in particular, it'll be interesting c- to kind of see where it goes and how it's understood by the public as it as it unravels in the the public eye.
0: Absolutely, we'll be watching with great interest. Ashley, thank you so much for the time today. Really appreciate your input.
4: Thanks, Bill. I appreciate being on. Thank you so much.
0: Take care. That's uh, Professor Anthony, Ashley Koning, uh from uh, Rutgers University. Uh, tomorrow, by the way, 10 o'clock is when these hearings start. Must see TV, as we said.
1: The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.
0: The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML.